Great Life Game Plan, session number three. The secret to a great life is to figure out how to have a great day, a great week, a great month, and just repeat that over and over and over again. The only person you need to be better than is the person you used to be. Welcome to your Great Life Game Plan. I'm Dr. Scott Little, and with me is my beautiful wife, Karen. Hello. Hello. Health is a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, and that's what we talk about on this show. Principles, tips, strategies for achieving optimal health and quality of life. We talk about chiropractic, nutrition, fitness, fat burning, relationships, overcoming hurts, habits, and hang-ups, stuff we've all got. Our goal is to teach and inspire you to enjoy an optimally healthy and completely great life. Well, I am Dr. Scott Little, and again, with me is my wife, Karen, and uh, we've got a good show planned today. Well, I believe we do too. You know, um, it's said that your mess is your message, your gift from God mm-hmm. is your testimony. Right. Your gift to other people is your testimony. The right. challenges and and struggles and things that you've gone through and and uh, as a couple, we've had a lot of challenges in the last decade or, <laughs> or so. Um, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna share a little bit with our listeners today. Uh, you recently gave your testimony mm-hmm. after at, at Celebrate Recovery, right. and uh, it happened to be on the day that you were celebrating three years of sobriety. Yep, and um, you know it's uh, something that I think a lot of people would would get a lot of encouragement from. So we're basically just going to play that uh, a recording of, of okay. that uh, yeah, that yeah. session. So uh, anything awesome. you want to want to say before we we go into that? Well, I mean, I think it's pretty self-explanatory and I just want people when listening to this to really just gain um, strength and hope that no matter whether you're on wh- which side of it you're on, which side of the addiction you're on. What I mean by that is if you're the person struggling with the addiction or if you're the family, friend, support system for that person, there's hope. And, um, you know, when when a person is ready to be done, then God will deal with them. God will um, speak to their heart. God will um, open them up to that freedom and he will, he will set them free. And, um, you know, it takes work. It's not easy, but it is so worth it. It is so worth every moment of it in the end. Now I want to say something, uh, in, in advance of this, because, uh, you are a gifted teacher and you are a gifted public speaker and, uh, you're very animated. You're very comfortable in front of groups of people mm-hmm. at, uh, at Celebrate Recovery. When people are giving their testimonies, they do have kind of a tradition that you read somewhat right. from a script. You know, I don't, I'm not sure, uh, why that is, but, um, you know, I want people to understand going into this, that you're basically reading I your, I, your testimony. I, I will be reading this. And, and part of the reason for that is so that you, number one, so that you don't speak things and say things. You know, when we give a testimony, we have to actually turn our testimony into the ministry leaders no le- no more, no less than a week ahead of time, because the ministry leader has to be able to read through it and make sure that there's not going to be anything in there um, that could be offensive to somebody or could somehow um, strike a chord in somebody that would make them 
slip and fall okay. in their own recovery. So, and that's why you that's why you you read it because it is something that you want to make sure that you get all of the points in there and you don't ever want to not remember something. And so when you write it, when you read it, you're up there and you're able to say, "Okay, I know everything I'm going to be saying." Well, that's cool. Well, so uh this is Karen speaking at her Celebrate Recovery uh, meeting a a few months ago, uh, giving her testimony. Hi, my name is Karen, and I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, gratefully recovering from an alcohol addiction. My story seems difficult to tell because I really didn't know where to begin. You see, I was raised in a home with a very loving mother and father with an older brother and sister. Yes, we had our sibling rivalry, but my family was very close, and we still are to this day. My parents' marriage was, and still is, a very strong one. With nearly 50 years under their belt, they are a great example of what marriage is supposed to be. Two people who love each other, working together to have a happy life. I was the youngest of the three of us, so I was very spoiled from the beginning. Never really needing to worry about the rules, because heck, by the time I came along, the rules that had been made for my sister had already been broken by my brother. So my life was pretty easy. Just as with all young girls, I did, of course, deal with the mean girls and all the standard struggles of teens. I had girlfriends stab me in the back, but had other friends who were there no matter what. I led a pretty standard life. I wasn't one to date much, but rather hung out with my friends in groups. I was probably looked upon as the little goody two-shoes, but that didn't bother me because I never paid attention to that kind of talk. People who had that opinion obviously didn't know me. I wasn't into drugs and alcohol, and sex wasn't an option until I was married. Alcohol was never an issue for me because it wasn't a big deal to have a small glass of wine on a special occasion with my family at dinner time. And because of this, I never thought about abusing it or hiding it or trying to sneak it. All the things I ended up doing. When I was a senior in high school, I met the man of my dreams— a man of God who loved the outdoors, horses, cowboys, had worked at a guest ranch, had a fantastic sense of humor, and most of all, made me feel all woozy inside. He was perfect in every way, but he was also eight years older than me at the time. He was in grad school, going to chiropractic college to become a doctor of chiropractic, and I was, well, still a senior in high school. Over the course of the next few months, we not only became friends, but under the supervision of my parents, he began to court me. I gave up my senior prom to spend the evening with him and some other friends. And by the time I graduated, we were verbally promised to each other. I was in love with this man and couldn't see spending my life with anyone else. Two years after we met, we married with my parents' permission. I was only 20 years old by three weeks. Of course, we had our newlywed struggles, living together, sharing finances and figuring out how to manage them, each of our individual quirks. I remember having to learn patience with him when I would ask him to do something, like washing the dishes. He would say yes, and they would continue to sit there, unwashed. I would get up and go do them because he didn't. Then he would get mad at me because he said he would do it, but when I asked, I wanted it done right away. This is just one small example of the lessons we had yet to learn about each other and a life together. As the years progressed, my husband opened his chiropractic practice in the St. Louis area while I went to chiropractic college. I wanted to get my degree, but as a young newlywed, well, my studies weren't the top thing on my list. So my grades struggled, and I almost failed a couple of classes. 
It was during this couple of years that I realized that more than wanting to become a chiropractor, I wanted to become a mother. I dreamed of having two children, one boy, one girl, and raising them up in the way they should go, just as scripture instructs us to do. So I got my bachelor's degree in human biology, went one more semester, and dropped out of chiropractic college to pursue my dreams of motherhood. We still needed to earn a regular income, however, as my husband's practice grew. So I took on a full-time job to earn it. This at least allowed me to be home with my husband in the evening and not have to focus on something else, just him, being a good wife and hopefully becoming a good mother. Over the course of the next few years, however, we both came to the realization that we really didn't like living in the St. Louis area and wanted to move. My husband, having been a cowboy at a real live guest ranch, wanted to move out west, Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, any of the very isolated states. While I loved the outdoors and wanted to move, I wasn't sure I was ready to move quite that far from family. After long hours of discussion, some arguments, and the realization that we can always visit those places, but family is most important, my husband came to me and asked if he could bring me to Indiana and show me his favorite place, Bloomington. I agreed and immediately fell in love with it. And it was close to both families, so easy to visit. In February of 1999, as we celebrated our fourth wedding anniversary, we moved away from the comfort and protection of family. We were truly on our own. His family was an hour away or more, and mine was at least four hours away. We had to completely and utterly rely on each other and God to provide for our needs. Though at the time, it was so much easier to talk about the faith than it was to live it. We started at a small rental apartment in Nashville, Indiana, and after a year, decided that we needed to actually live in Bloomington. So we moved to a rental house on the east side, but still close to our church in Nashville, but closer to the business we were trying to build successfully. We maintained friendships from the church as well as here in town, and continued to try to build the family I had always wanted. As our friends all graduated from their respective grad schools and started to drift in different directions, we were able to purchase our first home on the far west side of Bloomington. At the same time, we became more active in our church in Nashville by joining the praise and worship team. What a better way to look like you were playing the part of being a faithful Christian than being on the praise team, right? We would go lead worship, talk the talk, and even kept hanging out with friends from there. We even befriended the senior pastor and his wife and loved that he encouraged us to continue to hang out at McCree's Deli, where we would spend most weeknights and have a beer, all in the name of sharing Christ. And we did share Christ, but we would also drink. At that time, drinking wasn't out of control for either of us, but for me, it was the beginning of the end. As we continued to grow the practice and God seemed to be blessing us, we made some more decisions that may have been poor financial decisions. We got our first loan on a vehicle, a Jeep Grand Cherokee, that a friend of my husband's had gotten a hold of as a car dealer. We were approved for the loan, and I got a new car. What we didn't realize then was that the $375 per month car loan was going to be a large burden. One that, after four years, led to the vehicle being repossessed. While at the office one afternoon, before going to church for worship rehearsal, the car was towed away without us knowing it. We called to report it stolen, only to learn that because of my fear of telling Scott about our poor finances, 
and his inability to deal with bad financial news emotionally, the car had been repossessed and was sitting in Columbus, Indiana. We went through all the right channels and hoops to get the car back. We were able to finally get it paid off and owned it. This should have been our first hint that we weren't the best decision makers when it came to finances, nor were we the best at managing our finances, but instead, and even prior to this point, we had applied for a new home loan and moved into a house back on the east side of Bloomington, not a mile from the office. This was convenient as we now only had one vehicle, and often one of us had to walk to and from the office. I didn't realize the codependency that both my husband and I were expressing, but in hindsight, it was completely out of control. My husband found ways, without realizing it, to control the situation, my emotions, and even my decisions. I did anything and everything to make him happy, even hide our poor finances from him when we were struggling. We continued to hit the party scene, and as our circle of friends grew and changed here in Bloomington, drinking became not only a weekly thing, but nightly. We wouldn't get drunk during the week, but it was almost always a guarantee on the weekend. Me more than him. You see, it was the one time I could get away from the worries and stresses of the office and our finances and act like the successful business people we wanted to be. And since we still didn't have children, why not? God obviously didn't want to give us those children, so we would, could and would do whatever we wanted. I found myself not only hiding our financial situation, which seemed to be getting worse the more money we made, from my husband, and kept trying to make deals with God. God, I know this isn't right, but I promise that if you would give me the children I want, I will be nothing but completely honest to set the example for them. And we all know how well that goes over with God, like a lead balloon. He knew my promises, like so many others, were empty promises. But that wasn't my fault still, because he never even gave me the chance to prove it. That was how I thought about it. So continued the partying, leading worship while hungover, partying, and still not making wise financial choices. I, find my, I found myself completely submitting myself to my husband's control, letting him dictate just about every area of my life, from what to wear, to what to say, to even getting into the modeling industry and becoming a model. And with the modeling came more partying. Through my modeling, I was connected with a few guys who were making a horror film. I was encouraged to audition as I had drama experience, and since scary movies have always been one of my favorites, I figured, why not? I auditioned and got the part of the lead female in this film. So now I was modeling, running my husband's practice, and trying to film this movie. I was exhausted, worn down, and my immune system became susceptible to mono. This brought me to our medical doctor, the son of a friend, and having become a friend himself, he would see us oftentimes after hours and for free. This was wonderfully helpful, as we had no insurance. In seeing him, he started to feel different chains of lymph glands that were incredibly swollen, a major symptom of mono. What happened next, as I came to find out later, was of such significant impact, I often refer to it as the beginning of my major downfall. He proceeded to tell me that he needed me to completely disrobe and that he needed to do a full female exam to check for swollen internal lymph glands. I challenged him on this. Remember, I had a human biology degree, but he said to trust him. Blindly, I did. 
He caused discomfort enough in his exam not to hurt me, but to make me feel as if he indeed had found swollen lymph glands there. It wasn't until about a year later, if that, that I found out he hadn't done his exam for medical reasons, but for his own personal pleasure. What a shock to find out that I had been molested, even raped. I was already a hot mess at this point between the partying, modeling, sort of working, partying, movie, partying. It wasn't uncommon for me to start drinking too much during the week, but now it started to work its way into my day. While everything on the outside still looked like this good little Christian girl who was reaching out to those who were lost, I was just as lost on the inside. I had turned my back on the God I knew, blaming him for my not only not having children, but the subsequent chain of events that occurred. Only now, instead of just partying to cover up the pain of not being a mother, I began to drink to cover up the pain of being molested. And so began the lies, deceit, hidden spending and drinking, and so much more. As my life seemed to begin to spiral out of control, which it had already begun long prior, I began to turn more and more to the alcohol, and not just any alcohol, but the easiest to find. Sutter home, four packs of White Zinfandel, easy to hide, in the car, the cabinet, the couches, anywhere I could. Our finances continued to worsen, so I needed to once again take another job. I didn't think my drinking was a big deal at this point, and even remember making the statement, I can see how this would be easy for a person to become an alcoholic. Of course, I said this one Saturday morning at lunchtime as I was drinking a beer to overcome a hangover. Nice one, Karen. Can you say denial? I was able to talk with a company that we had purchased some of our equipment from. And with my degree, background in chiropractic, connections, and outgoing personality, I landed a medical sales job as the Midwest sales director for Aconia. This would not just take me all over the Midwest, but all over the country as well. And of course, this simply fed into the disease that was starting to be in full swing. I wasn't great at the job, but I wasn't bad at it either. What I was, was constantly looking for a way to get to that next drink, be it at the store, the airport, on the plane, in the hotel, or even at the convention. When I was at home, I would start to drink in the morning and not stop until bedtime. You see, in medical sales, I worked from home and had no accountability. I could easily run to the store, stock up on my $5 four packs of wine that I could hide from my husband, head home, and basically drink all day. I would fall asleep on the couch only to wake up to my husband calling me asking where I was because I was supposed to meet him at the office. Oops, must still be the mono. And so it went for many more months until one day, one very long day, in October of 2008. <clears throat> it was October 28th, and I was struggling with a urinary tract infection that I needed to go to the doctor for, so I had an appointment that afternoon. By this time, I had started seeing a nurse practitioner, but she was up in Martinsville. That same day, I also received a phone call from our sales manager, giving me some pretty stern warnings about my production, since I hadn't done any of the work I really needed to be doing. As I pulled into my nurse practitioner's office, my Jeep, the one that had been repossessed, made a horrible sound. I lost all power steering, and I knew I would need to call AAA for a tow truck when I was done. I grabbed one more of my little bottles of wine, chugged it, and headed into my appointment. And yes, I kept the little bottles in their little boxes behind the seat of my car, 
to drink as I was able to. It was a miracle I hadn't gotten caught and gotten a DUI on my record yet. Upon finishing my appointment, I called AAA to get a tow truck. I was in a mild panic, but knew as soon as I got home, I would do my necessary work and get back to my drinking. God had a different plan. The tow truck that showed up couldn't take my Jeep because my Jeep needed a flatbed truck. The driver stopped my the driver dropped my car and me on the side of the road right outside the doctor's parking lot which shared with other offices. I was now sobbing and trying to figure out what I was going to do. Again, God had a plan. Someone from the other office saw me and proceeded to call 911 for a distressed woman on the side of the road. That call brought not only an ambulance, but the police as well. After trying to assess what was wrong, the officer politely offered for me to blow into this little tube. That little tube told her that I was over the legal limit, and not just a little bit. The legal limit is .08, and I blew a .368. I went to jail. Unfortunately, this wasn't my rock bottom. You would think it would be because now everyone knew what I honestly had known for a long time. I had a drinking problem. Everyone wanted to fix me. My family came from St. Louis and swept me back there, where I stayed completely sober for the duration. Upon returning to Bloomington, however, I simply picked right back up. I didn't understand that I had an addiction that meant I could never, ever have just one. I heard it in counseling. I knew it in my head. But I didn't accept it in my heart. And so it began all over. And so it continued for two and a half more years. During this time, I even fell into sexual impurity and had an affair. That, at the time to me, seemed to help with my feelings of emptiness from not being a mother and being molested. My husband tried to control my drinking by getting a breathalyzer. You can probably imagine how well that went over with an alcoholic in complete denial. I attended AA meetings, but always when I had been drinking. I heard, I learned, but I never wanted to quit. The pain was still too real. What I didn't realize was the more I drank, the more pain I instilled on myself, my husband, my family, and everyone around me. Then I came to CR. I started to hear some of the things I did in AA, but this time Christ was involved. I started to think about what AA taught and how it made me feel. I was not identified as Karen, who was battling an alcohol addiction, but rather Karen, the alcoholic. It was my identity, so I lived it. But CR started teaching me that my identity is not in my addiction, but in Christ, and that my addiction was something I simply needed to turn over to Him. Simple. Yeah, right. I continued to drink, even in CR. Until one day in April of 2012, I had gotten a job Oh, I had gotten into a severe argument with my husband at the beginning of the week. By this time, I had already fought him physically, with him not laying a hurtful hand on me, but rather me kneeing him in the groin when he tried to keep me from driving one day. I was constantly sick, saying it was just the stomach flu that wouldn't go away. I had already thrown up sheer black, a sign of alcohol-induced gastritis, and a dangerous place to be four months earlier at Christmas. But after spending some time this Monday at the home of Grandma Norris, one of the most powerful prayer warriors I have ever known, something inside of me clicked. 
My husband asked if I would be willing to meet with Pastor Kim and Pastor Renee. I agreed. The day before the scheduled meeting, Pastor Kim called and challenged me to write things down that I was afraid of, angry about, and even blamed God for. I wrote it all down and presented it to Pastor Kim that next day, Wednesday. During the course of the next couple or so hours, Pastor Kim and Pastor Renee prayed over me, laid hands on me, and released strongholds that Satan had on my life. When that was over, I truly felt delivered, and like there was a completely different different person sitting in that room, and there was. That night, at Celebrate Recovery, I fully started to delve into the program. I signed up for and went through another step study, truly working the steps and learning what I needed to do to completely overcome the pain, hurts, and issues in my life. And I continued to work the program thoroughly, and in doing so, I learned that I am no longer broken, but God had fixed me through the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. I was no longer finding my identity in my sin, but in the one who died for my sins. I started to dig into Scripture to see what it had to say about forgiveness and love and my standing in Christ. CR taught me where many of my fears and anxieties originated from through the ever-dreaded inventory. But most of all, it taught me how to go back to those whom I had hurt and say, I'm sorry. I have learned a whole new way of life, of communicating, of living, so that any storm that tries to come my way, I am able to face with the confidence that God is truly in control. And there have been many challenges since then. During the final time of my addiction, we had fallen into arrears on our home and bills in such a way that bankruptcy was inevitable. In doing so, we would lose our home. However, God had another plan. The bank was willing to look at the possibility of a mortgage modification, and we presented our case to them over and over and over and over and over. It seemed they were never going to make a decision. After almost three years of sending the same information to them time and again, they ruled against us, and we lost our house. And yet, in God's plan, we were able to live without a house or rent payment while we were able to get back on our feet financially. God blessed us with a beautiful home to rent, and we are incredibly happy. On May 1st, 2014, we said goodbye to the home we were in for 10 years, but we didn't see it as an end. We saw it as the beginning of a fresh start at life that God had given us. The job I am in is a job that I am able to share my heart, my passion, and my God with people every single day. I am able to share my recovery with others openly because I know the pit of despair that God pulled me out of. I am able to deal with situations that years ago would have sent me into a complete spiral and into drinking, and I can do it with a clear head working the principles that this program has given me. God has placed me in a leadership position within this ministry as the encourager coach to help others work through their own hurts, hangups, and habits, and to see Celebrate Recovery as a place for healing. While God has yet to bless us with our own children, He has placed young people in my life to mentor and who call me their spiritual mother. I can think of no greater compliment than this. And my husband that I keep referring to, well, in February, Scott and I celebrated 20 years of marriage. While it hasn't always been easy, obviously, 
God has blessed us and made our marriage even stronger. I know that every day I have to take this one day at a time and work each and every step and principle of this program, or the addiction could easily overtake me again. But I also have people, dare I say friends, who I fully trust to not only lift me up in prayer, but to correct me when I need correction and encourage me when I need encouragement. Today, I celebrate three years of sobriety thanks to Celebrate Recovery, but mostly thanks to God for pulling me from the pit I was in and showing me what His path can hold. What was the difference between the day of my rest and the day I was delivered? One thing and one thing only. My desire to stop. God helped me stop denying my problem and gave me a desire to start to heal. That required rawness and complete honesty on my part. Painful, like squeezing lemon juice on an open cut, but in the end, healing in such a way that God is able to use me. It's like a leader said a few weeks ago in his lesson, God never wastes a hurt. I will never forget Pastor Kim quoting John when he said, And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I am not perfect. I am a sinner. But I am saved by the blood of the Lamb. I live my life as one who is made clean and fresh, as it says in Isaiah 1. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. I am a child of the one true king, a princess, Worthy, loved, fulfilled. These are the things I have learned and that I remember daily. I don't know what all of God's plans are for me, but I do know this. God knows where I have been, and He's forgiven me. God knows where I am, and He's molding me. But most importantly, God knows where I am going, and He's preparing me. I simply have to trust Him. Mm, Good stuff. Well, I hope that... You are encouraged and inspired by Karen's testimony. I hope that you can maybe pass this on to someone else, someone who is either dealing with with an addiction or compulsive behavior or someone who's the loved one of someone dealing with an addiction or compulsive behavior, you know, whether it's drugs and alcohol or sex, gambling, uh, social media, video games. My gosh, there are so many different things that people can be addicted to that the enemy can use to keep us off our game, to, to keep us from experiencing the most awesome life that God would have for us. Celebrate Recovery is a great uh, organization. If there's, uh, we go to go to celebraterecovery.com and find a, a group in, in your area perhaps to, to get involved with if you are battling any hurt, habit, or hang-up. I don't think there's anybody who doesn't have hurts, hang-ups, and habits that they would benefit from uh, from over overcoming. Well, that's all the time that we have for this session. Please subscribe to the podcast and iTunes, and if you'd be so inclined, give us a really, really, really good rating. Also, subscribe to our, our blogs, drscottlittle.com, and Karen's blog is karenlittle.me. Well, for my wife Karen, I'm Dr. Scott Little. Go create a great day.